worst thing you've ever been through. If he's come back today, that's the worst thing you ever have to go through. And you've already been through it. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. So hold the fort. I guess that was written by, what's his, what was his name? Um, just slip me. It was, it was written about a story in a civil war. How he, uh, one fellow was sent there to hold the fort, literally. What's his name? Oh, yeah, Philip Bliss, yeah. <clears throat> now that's a, that fellow wrote some songs, died at 33. How about First Thessalonians? Good to be back in the pulpit. Amen. Good to be in church. Okay, so, uh, yeah, keep uh, Sister Juliana in your prayers. Of course, she had the baby. Baby's doing better, right? Sugar's getting where it needs to be. Anything else I missed there? Pray for mom. She finally got to spend some time with the baby. And... Uh, yeah, that's a blessing. Just keep them lifted up and in prayer. I'm telling you what, prayer works. Amen. Um, so, also, I think we have a little workaround for uh, the Facebook dilemma. Everybody knows I hate Facebook, so I'm not going to slap Facebook. But, anyways, <clears throat> we have a private group. So, it's only to people who um, uh, we invite there. And so, they're not going to blow up the page and they're not going to run ads on our group. and Mute us out, so it might be a good thing for us, like some of the people in British Columbia and uh, <clears throat> my aunt down in Farmington there. So, any rate, if you want to be a part of that, um, just let me know there. First Thessalonians uh, chapter five is where we left off. Just been uh, the last uh, ten days have been a blur, and uh, I'm just just trying to do the math there. Um, we uh, accomplished the impossible. And that was uh, Brother Brian and the preacher in, in front of the vehicle for 20 hours at one time. <laughs> Tell you what, I, I got tired, but not as tired as I usually get. Uh, the energy, it was, it was all the way up. So that trip back, was that about 19 hours, 19 and a half? We stopped five times for fuel and once for chicken wings. And that was it, amen? It's a blessing. <laughs> that was really good. <clears throat> amen. Yeah, so I'm not sure how long I'll be able to do that marathon, but it's good to be back, and uh, I'm, uh, as you can tell, I am just absolutely charged up and uh, got a lot on my mind. I'll try to stay uh, uh, on top of what we're doing here, but look at First Thessalonians chapter 5. We left off right around verse 12, verse 13 there. The Bible says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. And esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourself. Let's pray. Father, we sure thank you, Lord, for being so good to us and gathering us here in the church house. And Father, we're excited about you coming back and getting us out of here. And Father, we're here tonight because we want to hear from heaven. We want to see what you have for us in the Word of God. And we thank you, Lord, for the Bible. Lord, where would we be without that old book? And so we thank you again for it. And I pray that you would teach us, Lord, from the Word of God. Help me, Lord, uh, to be. Uh, be able to give the sense of the scripture and to encourage and exhort and uh, edify the people of God and build them up. In your name we pray, amen. <clears throat> now here, uh, of course, uh, this is where we left off and we were back with uh, going through the passage here. Pa- Paul's not only talking about knowing the individuals, the pastors, the preacher, those which labor among you, uh, but he's also talking about church 
authority, church authority. So that's kind of where we left off there, and uh, uh, maybe it's a little bit uncomfortable to talk about it, but I'm not afraid to talk about it, just what it is. Paul lays out some order in the Scripture, and we would do well to continue to follow Paul's order. Amen? Paul, Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, let all things be done decently and in order. And uh, it's kind of like when you get married, <clears throat> the Bible tells you exactly what you as a wife should do, and the Bible tells the husband exactly what the husband should do. However, what the husband will often do if he's a knothead, he'll just constantly remind his bride uh, what she's supposed to be doing. <laughs> you're supposed to submit, and you're supposed to obey. Well, yeah, but what about all those other passages that you're supposed to do, right? But, uh, and, and we're, not, we're, we're going through this because we just happen to come across it, and we need to be reminded that, that Paul, the Lord has set some authority in the church, and it's through the pastor, amen? Uh, and what it says here in uh, verse 12, he says, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. So a couple things. You need to understand that what the pastor is supposed to be doing is laboring. It's supposed to be work. Um, I know some people say, well, you know, that pastor, he takes every Monday off. Well, whatever, I don't care. I don't care what day he takes off. Um, say, what day do you take off? Well, we won't talk about that, but anyways. <laughs> so, some days, you know, some days are better than others. But uh, it's supposed to be labor, right? Ephesians chapter 4 talks about why the Lord gave gifts to men, right? One of them was for the work of the ministry. It's supposed to be work. You're, people say this at the workplace, uh, uh, do you like what you do? I do, but it's still called work. <laughs> and what I do here and what I do as a ministry with my family, it's work. It's labor. And uh, some days are, are more laborious than others, right? Some days you think you got things down, and the other days proves to you that you never had to begin with. <laughs> but you're supposed to know them which labor among you and are over you. Notice what he says here. How, how is a pastor over a congregation or a flock, according to this verse, in the Lord, right? That's a spiritual thing, right? It's, ne it's not big me or little you. Never been that thing ever. That's a physical, that's a business type, but yet the office is there, the position is there, the respect should be reciprocated, right? Uh, because it's a, it's a position that God made and He created, but that oversight position is one that is in the Lord. And that's where you've got to be careful, and a preacher has to be careful, uh, not walking on pins and needles, but he's just he's got to be smart about it, <clears throat> all right? Uh, go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. I'll show you these couple verses. I know we touched on them, but go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. This is how the Lord lays the thing out. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul's talking to Timothy, and again he says here in verse 17, and this is how you should treat a, a pastor. He says, let the elders, that's, that's another biblical word for a pastor, the elders that rule well, there's the context, right, prerequisite, be counted worthy of double honor. All right, so uh, if a guy's worth five bucks an hour and the elder does it well, he should be ten bucks an hour. You, you, get, you get the drift, right? But it, he's got to be ruling well. If, if he's not ruling well, well, then guess what? He don't, he don't meet it, right? Especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Now I want you to see that thing too. That's what the pastor is supposed to be doing. He's supposed to be laboring in the word and doctrine. You go to Acts chapter 6, uh, they had to get some men to do the work. <clears throat> you say when? 
Well, after Peter saw 3,000 people saved at Pentecost, and then one chapter later in, in, in chapter 4, Peter preached another message and another 5,000 got saved. How about that? You start a church and within uh, a couple days, you have 8,000 on the roll. <laughs> That'd be crazy, wouldn't it? So they had to find seven men, of course, and that's where we, uh, we use the passage about deacons. And that'll fit, and that's fine. <clears throat> you don't have to go to some foreign language to figure that thing out. But that's where they get the thing about the deacons. And so they get, for 8,000, they get seven deacons for 8,000, however many people were there. Uh, but notice there it says, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. That thing is work. That office is work. And uh, if someone's going to be a preacher, a pastor, he, and he picks up that mantle, he's picking up a load. And it ought to be a load. Uh, look at Hebrews chapter 13. <clears throat> Um, I, I know some preachers, just because I is one, and I, I can't prove it, because I don't know anybody's heart. <laughs> it's a good thing. I'm glad they don't know my heart some days, too, amen? But uh, you would think some people become a preacher so they can go play around and, you know, go do this, that, and the other, and, and say, uh, you struggle with that? Well, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't deal with them on it. But that thing's supposed to be work. It's the work of the ministry. But uh, uh, look at uh, Hebrews chapter 13, and you've got to remember that elder, that pastor, he's supposed to be ruling well, all right? You say, well, what constitutes ruling well? Uh, a gradual increase in the general budget? No. Uh, how about a gradual increase in uh, the membership on the road? No. A ruling well has to do with a pastor doing exactly what God told him to do, is what we're going to get into, which you already know is to feed the flock. And not just like powdered donuts and skim milk. I mean the heavy stuff, too. Now, there ain't nothing more refreshing than a good glass of milk. Newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the Word. And sometimes you get so caught up with this, that, and the other, you forget the main things, the main thing, which is Jesus Christ, Calvary, and that's for you. But uh, notice here in Hebrews chapter 13, Paul's dealing with structure. He's dealing with authority in the local church. <clears throat> and uh, he says, well, you, uh, are you going to teach this because you uh, believe your authority is in question? No, never has been. Never has been. There's been some people who didn't care for it. I understand that. I'm, many days I don't care for the authority that the Lord gave me in the local church, but it's still there, right? Hebrews 13, 7, the Bible says, remember them. All right, so you notice a pattern beginning to develop here in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, know them, right? And Hebrews 13, 7, he says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. That's a command. Amen. Amen. Considering the end of their conversation. The end of their conversation is how they live in their life, right? The end of their conversation, what are they preaching to you? Preaching about Jesus Christ, are you saved? Amen. All right, what's the end of their conversation? The judgment seat of Christ. That's what you've got to consider. All right, now look at verse 17, same chapter. <clears throat> Paul says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. All right, so there you go. You have the third one. You have the, the know them, remember them, obey them. And Paul says at the end, and submit yourselves. Why? Uh, because you're a bunch of pawns? No. The reason you're supposed to obey and submit yourselves in the Lord, not physical things, in the Lord, a spiritual connotation why? Because that pastor, that preacher, for they watch for your souls. That's a man praying. You see it? 
as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So if you're looking at that thing, you can look in your mind's eye, that thing's off of the judgment seat of Christ somewhere, and he's calling these preachers on the carpet about church people that attended the local church. You see that? And he's asking the preacher to give an account of what he fed them. And that's where we're going to go next. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. Now, I doubt the Lord's going to get up there and, and ask uh, me uh, if everyone and their brother participated in the, uh, the plastic plant dusting ministry. But the idea is, is that you're going to get, the preacher's going to give an account for how he took care of the sheep. And if the preacher did what he should have and he ruled well, and yet there were just some sheep that were just more like billy goats and always butting and always running off and never knew what time it was to eat, you read that verse that says, for that is unprofitable for you. When I see that word profit, it's talking to me about gold, silver, precious stones, maybe a loss or reward. Like you could have got this, but because a, a sheep uh, wouldn't stay in the pasture or always had to go uh, trifle off in someone else's pasture or, or never did uh, listen to what God wanted them to have. Never. You remember as a kid, mom always made something that you didn't like. So you did everything you could to eat the bare minimum. I guess for me it was like peas. And I hated peas so much. Amen. Yeah. Until you grew up and became an adult. And then you just put more butter and salt on them, right? <laughs> but if I'd have been smart, but I was a kid, so I was just dumb. But I'd have been smart, I'd have ate them first. So I, I never liked peas, and I would just wait. And, of course, my good parents were like, you ain't getting up to eat your peas. I'm like, oh, seven years of tribulation, you know? But that's kind of the idea, that thing you see. Like, you know, God gives a preacher something to feed the sheep by. And you may not like it, but let me tell you what, there's a lot of value in vegetables. And it all can't be potato chips and Twinkies and all that, you know, ice cream and, you know, Fig Newtons and all that other stuff and Mountain Dew. Every once in a while, you've got to have some ground beef, right? Every now and then, you've got to have some chicken noodle soup, bacon, amen. <laughs> now, look at First Peter chapter 5, verse 2, and like we said, and I'm, I'm trying to dovetail back into where we left off here, but I'll give you the examples. <clears throat> you go down south, the Southern Baptists, they are run, slapped by deacon boards, okay? Now, the Independent Baptists are, are really right there. They are. No matter what you think, I don't care what you think, the, the Independent Baptists are right there to the fact that they are now having deacons run their church. Now, listen, a deacon has a place in a local church, but a deacon was never in the Bible to tell a pastor, number one, what to preach, number two, the direction the church should ever go. And you could take that thing to <clears throat> court, <clears throat> and you'll never find the Bible verses on that stuff. But what that does is these groups like the Southern Baptists, uh, they're run by the deacon boards, and now your independent Baptists are run like the deacon board, or with, with deacon boards. And that just makes sure that they don't get a pastor in there that preaches to them what they don't want to hear and does something that they don't want to do. Now, hold on. If God made the preacher the overseer, if he, God made the pastor the one who is supposed to give an account, you ain't going to have a bunch of deacons standing up there sucking a cigarette going, well, Lord, you know, they didn't vote in our favor. Why? 
because that pastor was called by God to do something, to lead men and women and to feed them. All right, now listen, here's the problem with us Bible believers. Amen. And I've been around just long enough to know that we need to be scrutinizing ourselves. It does us no good to go around and straighten up all the pictures on the walls and preach about the Methodists and how they believe they can lose their salvation, and then the charismaniacs, and how they can never have the right spirit, or they're always talking in a tongue. And meanwhile, we're just a mess because we never look in the mirror. But the problem with the Bible-believing Baptists is not their division of the Word of God. It's not their loyalty to the King James Bible. Is that their pastors are a bunch of stinking popes. Why? Because they don't want to be run by a deacon board. Uh, brother, uh, my good friend, Brother Dennis Knowles, he preached a message while we were down there, and it's one of my favorite messages called Reactionary Theology. This is a perfect example. You got your Southern Baptists run by the, the deacon boards. Now you got the Bible believers. They're dictators. Now look, a pastor might have to be a little bit of a dictator every now and then just to make sure no one else takes over. You see that? God called the pastor to lead the church. You're doing all right. Just a handful. You all having fun. All right, but uh, that's the thing. What is that? That's reactionary stuff. Uh, we're not going to have we're not going to have seven deacons for you know seventeen people. Well, well that makes sense. You say, well, you ever going to have a deacon? I'm praying on it. I'd love to have one, but as as long as we're twenty and under, you tell me what need we really have for a deacon right now. There ain't a need. Now the day will come unless the Lord comes back and gets us out of here. But uh, if you react, then you don't have any deacons ever, and then you stack the Constitution so no one can do anything. And even the FBI can't get you out of here if you're a preacher that's gone rogue. That's reactionary. And uh, you say that doesn't happen. It happens. Why? bible preachers are worried about getting thrown out. You know, I say jokingly, you can have it, but you'll give it back. <laughs> it don't fit you. <laughs> Amen? It only fits this guy. All right, 1 Peter 5, 2. But what we're saying is there is a balance that a pastor has to find when he's looking at that thing. And it's a very difficult balance. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 2, feed the flock of God which is among you. That's Brother Peter, right? Um, feed the flock of God which is among you. In other words, I can't be trying to make my ministry all about people that are looking through that big camera lens right there. Now, I know there's some people out there, and they... They love uh, you allowing them to have that ministry. Amen? They love the fact that you put something in that box as God moves your heart so we can keep the lights on and the toilets can flush and the gym gets swept. God moves upon other people's hearts to do their part. Amen? But uh, my job is to feed the flock that's here. Amen? My job is not to straighten out a preacher on some, somewhere where I think he's wrong. You see what I mean? My job is not to preach a message that I hope will get thousands of likes and listens so you can go and I can become a legend in my own mind. I'm supposed to feed the flock. What are you? I'm just a German version of the Swedish chef. That's it. I prepared the meal and here we go. We're in the kitchen. I won't even make the sound either. Amen? He says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight. All right, so I'm supposed to be a feeder and I'm supposed to take the oversight. I'm supposed to oversee it. I'm not supposed to delegate all the oversight to everybody. I'm supposed to be looking at that thing. If I have somebody do something, I've got to make sure that I have the oversight of it and I haven't given away what God has called me to do. 
All right, not by constraint, not strangleholding everybody, but willingly, not for filthy lucre. I didn't, you know, you don't, pastor doesn't come get it for a paycheck, right? One, my old preacher, uh, one of my heroes, he's dead and been in glory since what, 2004. He said, when money becomes your banner, you're too poor to preach. <laughs> he says, uh, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Uh, how about verse 3? Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. I'm not supposed to lord, I'm not supposed to rule and reign over you. What am I supposed to do? Well, how am I going to get anyone to do anything? I'm supposed to be the example. You know what that means? If it's got to be, it's up to me. And if it's up to me, we're all in trouble except God helps us. <laughs> but I'm supposed to be the example. I'm supposed to be, listen, I'm supposed to be the example in giving. I'm supposed to be the example of how to uh, treat the brethren. I'm supposed to be the example of ministering. I'm supposed to be the, right? You say, well, well you can't do everything. Okay, Moses' father-in-law. I, I know, I've, I've met a couple of y'all. You know what Moses' father-in-law said? You're going to wear away, buddy. You ever thought to think God puts his touch on a man to do something that most men won't do? It doesn't make me special. That just means God said, you're going to do it, and I'm going to give you the grace to do it, and you're going to be able to do it. And a lot of people are going to look at you and think you're doing a terrible job of it, but I gave you the grace. Now go get it done. All right. <clears throat> so he says, not only are you supposed to take the oversight, but you're not supposed to do it for money, uh, but because you want to. And you do it by example. Go to Acts chapter 20, verse 8. So Peter says it, feed the flock. Paul says it, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Now, this thing's a difficult balance. And I believe, uh, I believe the local church has now become, even in our Bible-believing circles, uh, something the Lord never intended it to be. Never intended it to be. No, I'm not telling, we're, go, we're not going back to the home church, you know, not going back to Priscilla and Aquila and having a church in their house and all that stuff. Look at 2028, the Bible says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. That's a command. Feed the church of God which you had purchased with his own blood. So the pastor's primary responsibility, obviously, two places, Peter said it, Paul said it, in ruling the church is to feed the people. That's going to take up 90% of it. Now, minus all the stuff that's done behind the scenes and paying a bill and, you know, getting something fixed or doing the work of the minute, however that thing works, cutting the grass, you know, weed eating, you know, roofs falling in so you got to tarp it off, or, you know, stuff like that, you know. All right? So the pastor's primary job in ruling the church is to feed the flock. And uh, it's, the more I read the Bible, the more uh, I understand why the Lord has impressed upon me to just to give you as much as possible. I mean, when I started, we started here, we weren't even in the uh, sanctuary in the middle of the week. We, were, we had, I don't know, 40-some people on midweeks. We didn't have an uh, evening service, though. We didn't have an evening service, man. We, were, we had a big crowd on Wednesday night. It was, it was weird. It was, I think, it was a movement is what it was. Anyway, so we'd pack them in that place there and, and, uh, and had some little old ladies there. And man, would you slow down, please? And I'm thinking, you turn here and turn here and turn here and turn here. Finally, one time, I've told this story before, they, they came to church, and I just, I hate to say it, but I just felt the need to slow down, which is not like me. I just do everything 100 miles an hour. When I was young, my, my dad would say, slow down when you eat. He said, you're going to forget what you ate. And I often forgot what I ate, amen. But anyways, I just felt the need to slow down, and, and uh, after the service, the ladies were up front. They're good ladies, and 
You say, well, why aren't they here? I have no idea, but they're good ladies. They love the Lord, and they're just rejoicing and praising the Lord and talking to each other, and they're laughing. They said, Pastor, we just want to let you know that we prayed before service that the Lord would slow you down. He slowed you right down. <laughs> but my job is to feed you, and it's always been to feed you as much as possible. Amen? I, I, I like to, to, to think the fact that maybe I could feed you enough just so you could burp every once in a while. Amen? But that's the job of a preacher. And the pastor's authority, you've got to remember, it's in spiritual matters. Spiritual matters. Uh, it's not physical matters. Amen? And that, thing, uh, that thing's difficult. You say, what's difficult about it? Well, if the majority of my job is to feed the flock, you know what the pastor's up against? Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now, you've got to remember that when you read your Bible, you have to read yourself into the passage because often we don't. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now, I'm not looking to cry on your shoulder. Uh, uh, you know, but I'm going to show you this. And I want to show you what every preacher is up against. In this county, uh, whether or not their doctrine is 100%, every preacher that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're up against it. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. You see that? You know what the problem of today is? Christians can't endure. They can't put up with the preacher. They just, they can't. Say why? The Bible told you. It doesn't say the time will come where they'll not endure sound doctrine because they're just wicked as hell. It says the time will come. It has to do with the end times. It has to do with we're in the night. It has to do with Christians are tired. Christians are spiritually sleeping. And when you get tired, then the preacher just begins to zone. Off you go. He says, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth. You see that? And it shall be turned unto fables. Now, the Bible told you that. I want you to believe your Bible like I know you do and just consider where you're at in time. You're 2022, right? And everyone's main thought today, for the most part, now if you're of the exception, I'm not picking on you, well, everyone's thought for the most part was the election or how it went or where it went or whether it was in the toilet or under the toilet or back in the drain field, right? And they're turned on to fables. Oh, well, now what are we going to do, you know? Oh, they got more, uh, they got more seats in the Senate. They, they got less, more seats, wh whatever. I mean, it, the sun goes up and the sun goes down <laughs> and we're that much closer to going home to glory. <laughs> I don't care who's in the outhouse, Amen. <laughs> One of these days, the Lord's going to come by. It's going to be a royal flush for all of them. Amen. He said, look at this. Uh, uh, and they shall turn their ears away from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So you need to understand that this is talking about saved individuals. Am I right? This is not talking about the lost people down at Walmart. They're not going to come anyways. This is talking about the church, believers, Bible believers. They shall turn away their ears from the truth. So when Paul told you that was going to happen, you better believe it's happening. And because you're here doesn't necessarily mean uh, you're better than them. It just means, look, you just haven't fallen prey to it yet. And it takes, you got to keep yourself awake. And watch uh, thou in all things, so forth and so on. I just want to show you that. But, uh, but the pastor's uh, job is to feed, to feed, to feed, to feed, to feed. And it has to do with spiritual things and not physical matters. <clears throat>
and you've got to wash that thing. And it takes a real balance. Look at verse 13, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Get back into this thing. And look, that thing's uncomfortable to preach. Why? I, I don't want to be the guy that tries to draw attention to me, my office, my authority. Uh, look, I know, uh, I believe I understand my authority. I believe I understand my office. I believe I understand what's in front of me, what I got to do. But you ought to know it too, amen? Not only that, you ought to know what your, your office is. You know what your office is? Your sheep. You know, your ministry is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Your duty is to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ every day. Amen? And when you have fellowship with Jesus Christ, that thing culminates in the process of time with you saying just exactly what Paul said, what wilt thou have me to do? You can't sit... What happened? <clears throat> if you sit there and you claim to have fellowship with Jesus Christ every day and you never say, what wilt thou have me to do? You know what will happen? You'll get in a rut and you'll start to rot. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll bring you to the crossroads, and that thing will be, are you going to serve me? Yes, Lord, I'll serve you. Or no, I just want to feel warm and fuzzy and do nothing about it. I've watched it happen. <clears throat> People say, isn't this a great preacher? I learned about fellowship, and oh, isn't it so good to feel the warmth and love of God? Yeah, but what are you doing with your life? Nothing. You're going to rot. You can't sit there and not come to the place where, like Paul said, what wilt thou have me to do? <clears throat> All right, 1 Thessalonians 5.13. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. There's the key. You, you esteem them. You hold them in a high position. You love them uh, very highly. Why? For their work's sake. And be at peace among yourself. <laughs> it doesn't say their personality, not their looks, not the way they talk. We talked about this last time. Listen, a good Bible-believing preacher, he will sometimes rip your face off. Now look, it's not all about the face rip in ministry, amen? <clears throat> Here's the thing. I, good, good men, I love them. I love them to death. And they, uh, they sit in church and say, Preacher, I'll rip my face off. I'm like, that was all kind of weird, man. You tell me to rip your face off. You know, you know, that's weird, isn't it? I like good preaching, but I've never went up to a preacher and said, Oh, would you just rip my face off? I've had, I've had men come up and say, Rip my face off. I love it when you do that. I'm like, You're crazy. Say what happened. I don't know. They just, they like rough stuff. But you know what? Rough preaching, uh, <laughs> unless it starts hitting their heart, right? And then uh, uh, now you're picking on me. <laughs> <clears throat> you know what? Uh, you don't have to rip someone's face off from the pulpit to get their attention. You could say something just as calm and just as soothing as Ernest Hemingway wrote in some of his essays there. And uh, if God's in it, man, it'll bring you to your knees. But uh, you're supposed to see them highly for their work's sake, not the personality, not because they have nice manners. Uh, you know, your, pre your preacher is super, not superhuman, but he's very much human, right? In other words, when I come here, I want to be, <clears throat> and I believe this is probably one of the reasons the Lord put me in sales for so many years. Why? Because I'm a jerk and he had to teach me how to be nice to people. I'm surprised some of my family didn't amen on that one, amen? But, you know, when you, you have to go into, I've been in 30,000 homes in northern Michigan. I've often thought about that. Ooh, what does that mean? I just, there's a lot of crazy people in this, in this state, man, I'm telling you what. But you go in there, and you have to be nice. Why? You wouldn't get invited back. Amen. Now, look, preaching isn't always just about being nice, but you have to learn to act to people. And as a brother or sister in Christ, you have to learn to treat each other. 
Amen? It's not just for the preacher, but uh, <clears throat> you're supposed to esteem them highly for their work's sake. And uh, that's what you and I have been taught the wrong thing. You and I have been taught that if someone speaks nice, they must be nice. The older I get, when I hear someone talking really nice, you know what I'm thinking? What do they want? You got kids that come, hey, Daddy, how are you? What do you want? <laughs> you know, when they say it really nice and sweet. Okay, well, I've heard it before. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's not how it goes. You're supposed to esteem a preacher uh, very highly for his work's sake. Why? Because the work that he's involved in is something much larger than himself. You see, you realize sitting here today in a building made of wood and <clears throat> paneling and stucco and carpet and all that stuff and nails and screws and cement and all that stuff, not talking about the physical building, but the work that we're a part of here is eternal. This is the only thing that will last. It'll go all the way through to the judgment seat of Christ. Maybe you can get excited about that. Well, people have been taught, taught you that smooth talking means that you love somebody. But that's not the case. And he says in verse 13, to esteem them very highly in love for the work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Notice that peace comes at the very end of that thing. And that means if you're going to esteem the pastor the way you should, for his work's sake, do it the right way, amen, then you can be at peace among yourself. And in the local church, a lot of times there's no peace. There's no unity. That's one of the hardest things to get and keep in a local church is unity, isn't it? I'll tell you what, over the last eight years, we've had different stages of, of growth, and we've had different stages of the Lord pruning and teaching us and making us and breaking us almost sometimes down to like our knees. But you know what the Lord was doing? He's trying to get us to be at peace with ourselves. What is that thing over there? Is it in 1 uh, Corinthians? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. It ought to be your endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in this body of Christ right here. It should be your endeavor to be at peace with one another. Amen? should never be our endeavor to fight with each other. <clears throat> All right, and uh, it says you'll be at peace among yourself. Look at verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Context is people in the church. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. It's not getting any better on a practical note, amen? Now, the unruly just simply means what? They're just not going by the rules. You say, well, you got a bunch of rules here? No, we're talking about the Word of God. The Word of God, they, the, the Lord is the one that makes the rules. And in the last days of the church age, there seems, unfortunately, to be many men and many women who do not wish to follow the rules. Let me ask you this question. When you got saved, did you not become part of the body of Christ? So if God died for the church, then why wouldn't you want to become a part of a local church? That's a great question, isn't it? Because when you're a part, when you're a member of a local church, I'm not looking for enrollment. I want you to see the type. I want you to see the picture that God set up. If he died for the church and he shed his blood for the church, which is his body, why wouldn't a man want to become a member of a local church and then be faithful to its services? After all, Jesus Christ has been faithful to you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. 
You say, well, you know, a sister so-and-so. I'm not talking about someone who can't come to us. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about the exceptions that seem to prove. But why wouldn't you, and you're here tonight, so you're like, oh, of course, you're not talking to me. I'm just saying, why wouldn't a man or a woman who saved, when they got saved, immediately became part of the body of God, why wouldn't they become a member of a local Bible-believing church? There's only one reason. Because they wouldn't want to get the, under the authority of who God put in that thing. And if you're not a member, and you're not regular in attendance, then you can do whatever you want. But see, when you got saved, Jesus Christ became your head. Well, God set up the pastor to be the head of the local church, and, and the Lord's over the pastor. And that's where people begin to have problems. But that's how, uh, that's how the Lord set that thing up, and that's what He expects us to do. All right, but there's a lot of men and women in this day and age. They want to do their own thing. Would you agree? do their own thing. They want to do their own thing, and, uh, but at the same token, they want to have your stamp of approval on it. <laughs> Amen? And they want to utilize the local church to support their agenda. Now listen, I believe everybody here probably knows the steps to what we would call discipline in the local church. The first thing you do is you warn them, right? Someone does you wrong, Bible says over Matthew chapter 18, you go to them one-on-one, you talk to them. You warn them. Say, hey, you know, you're, you know, you keep bringing your dog over and doing his business in my flower bed. You got to cut that out. Amen. So you go to him, you warn him, you go to him individually. Now, even that thing, the simple, the simplicity of that has been so violated in our day and age. Now it's like you don't go to him, you go to Facebook. Or, you know, you go to, you know, you know, Mrs. Olson and she broadcasts it all over town. And next thing you know, everyone, half the people in church know that your dog is doing their duty in your rose garden. And you're like, I had no idea. No idea even had a dog. No, you just had no idea why. No one listens. But that first step is to warn them, right? You go to them individually. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Just a quick review on the thing. I know you know, but it's good to look at it. Good to be reminded of how we're supposed to handle problems. You say, why? Because, look, if you're faithful to a local church, you are going to have problems with the brethren. Why? Because you spend time with them. Do you not have problems in your home from time to time? The only reason you have problems with people in your home is because you're around them. <laughs> okay, so some of y'all just leave it to be regular, right? <laughs> Galatians 6.1, the Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, <clears throat> fill in the blank. <laughs> Restore such an one. So obviously, if someone's done something wrong, if they have a fault and they've faulted you, the first and the foremost thing is you need to seek for restoration of that thing, not exploitation. But see, if we can exploit what someone else did to us, then we can get attention. We can get in the spotlight. You know, well, see, now you, you see how you know, terribly I've been treated because of you know, brother's dog over there. You know? <clears throat> and uh, I'm sorry, that we're going to have to bury that one eventually. But anyways... Well, yeah, yeah, that'll work too. It says, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. That's another tough thing, isn't it? Do you want restoration when there's problems, or do you want to be vindicated? Do you want restoration, or do you want people to just know how right you are? (laughs) 
hey, if my hand's in the air, I mean, when I, when I am, have been done wrong legitimately, not like it was an accident and I just have a terrible attitude, but when someone's done me wrong, I don't always want it restored. I want them to get it. <laughs> what? Well, the same thing they gave to me. Well, that's not very Christ-like. It's flesh-like. 100%. But notice he says spirit of meekness. That's, that's the thing. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. That's one of the first things you do when someone ever crosses you. And that's a good way to put it. You ever been crossed by somebody? I mean, I mean, you thought, I mean, y'all were thick as thieves, just like that. And you loved them just about enough to die for them. And you just lavish affection, time, and give them all kinds of, oh, I think you're the greatest thing in the world since salted popcorn, and the best thing in the world since sliced bread. And next thing you know, they cross you, and now they got a problem with you. That thing hurts, doesn't it? You know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to look at that brother and imagine that you did it. Considering thyself. You know why? Because you did to Jesus Christ. You sinned against him, haven't you? So you got to look at that thing. You got to consider yourself lest thou also be tempted. And you got to look at that thing and go, well, yeah, it was a bad thing that they did to me, but the grace of God, I do the same thing. And I, I just, I just, I'll do what God said, but I just better go easy on the thing. I watch people. Uh, I watch people in the church. I watch families in the church that love God and they've given their whole life to uh, sacrifice for the Lord, and they run their mouth about kids, someone's kids. And I'm going, man, you better be careful. Why? Well, because not all their kids are on the house yet. You say, what happens? Well, 10, 15 years later, here it comes. And now that person that was, yeah, 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 about everyone's kids, what are they doing? Well, it's kind of prancing around. You've got to be careful about that. You better consider yourself. Next time someone crosses you and does you wrong, you better look at that thing and go, whew. Could be there. And uh, so in Matthew 18, you go to them, and if they repent, you gain a brother, amen? You don't hold it over the head. They repent, you're right. As my dog, I'm sorry, and I knew it, but I was just, anyways. But you gained a brother if he repents. And, uh, and if they don't repent, the Bible says in Matthew 18, you take, you take another brother with you. Now you don't go by yourself, you take someone else. You see that? You, why? You're serious on the thing. You want to get it right. You want to restore. I'm telling you what, in 2022, the day and age you and I live in, you start following God's way of doing business, things almost always seem to fall apart. Why? Men and women are rebels. They don't want to be told what to do. They don't want to be told they're wrong. And then when you come to them the way God intended it, it puts a lot of shame. And men and women today who are in the wrong do not want that pressure on them, so they immediately try to get out of it. All right? But then you take a brother with you. And if he's willing to hear you and the other brother, you gained a brother. You're done with it. But then in Matthew 18, if he doesn't hear you, then you bring the matter before the church. That's what you do. You don't just, you just don't take it for the team, you know. <laughs> this whole taking it for the team, whatever. You want to do right? It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you friends, even in the local church sometimes. All right, so then you bring the matter before the church. You don't bring the matter before, you know, all, all the, all, you don't, you, if you're a gal, you don't get all the gals together and get them on your side. You bring it to the pastor is what you're supposed to do. All right, <clears throat> now look at 1 Timothy 5.20. 1 Timothy 
Now, this thing shows up in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Look what Paul says to Timothy. Them that sin, rebuke before all, that others also may fear. Now, listen, this isn't talking about personality. This isn't talking about someone just thinks you're just ugly as a you know, mud fence. We're not talking about that. We're talking about stuff like people that are out of order. 2 Timothy 3, uh, first, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, walking disorderly, right? Romans chapter 16, 17, 18, uh, causing division, strife, and envy, and all that stuff. That's what Paul's talking about. But he says to Timothy, them that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. Now, that's a, that's a very difficult thing, and by God's grace, in eight years, we've never had to do that. But let me give you an example of that. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you got that fellow, he's... Uh, shacking up with his mother-in-law, and he wouldn't repent on the thing. You're going to have to let the church know, hey, you don't have fellowship with him because he's a mess, and he won't repent. He's an unrepentant sinner. We're not talking about personality, and I just don't like you, and I don't like the way you preach. Help yourself, man. Fine, go get under a preacher that you like, and you give account to him, amen? But we're talking about unrepentant sin, and you won't get the sin right. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You get someone in there messing around with another man's wife or something like that, something of a very serious nature, then you've got to take care of it. You've got to bring it before the church if you won't get right, if you won't repent. And Paul is very clear. He says, them that sin uh, rebuke before all that others also may fear. Because what happens, if you don't rebuke that thing the way God said, then the church will get to thinking, you're all right with that sin. And uh, when the Lord brought us here, uh, there are people here that did not want us to church people if they were uh, connected in adultery. And that came up when we were going through the Constitution. I said, why not? Well, you know, what if they need help? They can get right, then they can get some help. See, that thing goes back to shame. You ought to feel sorry for your sin, shouldn't you? When you do wrong, you ought to feel like a dirty dog. When you do wrong... You, you shouldn't have seven or eight people there going, oh, tell me, it's going to be okay. No, you ought to feel like a dirt bag. Why? You sinned against God. Amen. So why? You rebuke sin before all that others also may fear. Now remember, we're not talking about the personal matter. We're talking about walking unruly. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, uh, walking disorderly. That has to do with Christians who are freeloaders. They won't work. We're not talking about you're enjoying the golden years where the doctors take all your gold either, amen? You work and you retired, praise the Lord. Don't know if I'll ever be there, but hopefully maybe one day. We're not talking about that. I preached a message on 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 one time. One fellow came up to me and says, Oh, oh I, I, I have a medical condition and I can't work. I'm like, I'm not preaching to you, bro. It's all right. Man, just got him all riled up like I knew it was you doing, <laughs> It's talking about those that are walking unruly. And, and uh, listen, if, if the pastor doesn't do that, if you don't handle problems the way God said to in Matthew 18, Galatians 6.1, then you're going to have problems. You're going to have problems. But you've got to be careful. And preachers have to be very careful. And preachers are notoriously bad for this thing right here. They're bad because they want to handle everything super fast. The inter- interesting thing about that verse we just went, went through in 14... The end of that verse is be patient toward all men. So when there are things even that are wrong and dead wrong, that preacher has to be patient about the matter and give it to the Lord as not to blow the thing up. Why? Every preacher I know wants to get right now. Get it done. But you can't always do it that way. You've got to slow it down. 
And uh, I'll tell you what, we've had problems in the church before, and I've been privy to information that no one else has been privy to, and I've had to sit under that, and I've had to bear the weight of it and beg God and plead with God to get the thing right. And when the thing didn't get right, I say, Lord, am I supposed to do something about it? And every time so far there's been an issue, the Lord's like, no, shut up about it. Shut up about it. That's not too plain for Northern Michigan, is it? (laughs) Be quiet about it. He says in verse 14, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. So now the feeble-minded is not only the mentally slow. Um, Back in the 70s and 80s, you could say this were not the retarded individuals uh, that can't think for themselves, but the feeble-minded can also be some older folks. I think a couple of our dear ladies, only one that was able to come often, uh, first of all, you gals know that, that you're insecure to begin with. Now put yourself in about a 90-year-old body without a husband to take care of you. You see that? Then not, you start worrying about everything, don't you? And uh, <clears throat> Dr. Ruckman used to say that Bob Jones Sr., uh, in uh, the, the last days that he lived, you would see him on campus walking around with a suitcase. Bob Jones Sr. We're talking about the guy who preached, pastored two churches at the age of 12. 12, preaching message where hundreds of people would get saved. At the end of his life, he could be seen walking around the campus of Bob Jones University with a suitcase in his hand, looking at people saying, would you show me where the train station is? I'm going to miss my train. And, you know, some older people get up in years. They're going to need some additional comfort. Amen. (laughs) Yep, I'm there. says, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak. So that might be financial as well as spiritual, right? When you're dealing with widows. And be patient toward all men. And that's a really, really difficult thing to do. That thing often gets glazed right over. Patience is, one feller said, patience is a virtue and rutabaga is a vegetable. (laughs) Because they didn't want to acknowledge the first statement. (laughs) That thing about being patient is difficult. Because if you got the answer, you want to handle it now. But you got to be patient toward all men. And like I said, most of us want to get everything fixed up now. And uh, you got to be patient. you got to take your time. And sometimes you got to listen. The ministry goes slow. When you're, when you're attempting to feed the flock and to steer the ship, if I can use that example, you can't crank that rudder all the way to the left all the time. You just spin in circles. you got to make slight, slight adjustments. And if you're going the wrong way, I'll give you an example. We came here in 2014, there's New King James Bibles in the pew. I didn't say a word about it. I sure wanted to. Why? Because I'm an idiot. I'm a King James Bible believer. Believe it from cover to cover, including covering the maps and concordance. But I I didn't say a word. I just got up, and I took counsel of my preacher friend in Jacksonville there. I said, our preacher, man, they got New King James. Man, I'm just wicked, wicked, wicked. He's like, okay. He says, why not try being a pastor once? Okay. So what do you mean? Don't say anything? No, he says, just go and preach to him. Next thing you know, men in the church came to me and says, preacher, about six months later, was it? Five months later? I hear you preach about King James 1612? 1611, brother, close enough. He says, this ain't 1611. What are we going to do with it? I said, I don't know, man. What do you think we should do with it? He says, I know. Let's give them to the prisoners. (laughs) I said, I don't want them reading that either, man. He was sincere. He meant, well, let's just give him to the people in jail. You know? <laughs> you know? 
No, no, no. I said, I said, I tell you what. I said, if you want to get rid of those, yeah, we need to get rid of them. And then we had uh, what's his face in. We bought some Bibles that are still here from Bearing Precious Seed. Bought some King James Bibles, real deal, man. And uh, I said, you, you, you get them to me, and I'll take care of them. She said, you I took them out back and torched them. It took six months to do it, though. And you got to be careful. You don't go too fast. You got to remember, over Romans chapter 5, doesn't say tribulation worketh. That's why we don't want to be patient, because we really don't want the tribulation that comes with it. I mean, right? <clears throat> now, I do. Uh, I hesitate to pray for patience, amen? But the passage says that tribulation worketh patience. Patience worketh experience. And experience hope. And when you start going through some things, amen, you start going through some troubles, you start going through some trials, your family starts feeling the pain of ministry and trying to win people to Jesus Christ and seeing, seeing no results and all that stuff. I'm not talking about just a, I'm talking about as a, as a part of the body of Christ. You can start looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's the hope he's talking about. Look at verse 15. <clears throat> Paul says, See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. You see that? See that none render evil for evil unto any man. See, you don't, go, uh, you don't go do something evil just to get back at someone who's done something to you. Vengeance is out the window, man. That's what the Bible says. Now, that's not what Americans say. Americans say, Americans say this. If you do something to me, I'm going to get you back. Now, moral, patriotic Americans, they say this. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me for what I'm going to do to you. Some of you use that, but that's not what the Bible says. That's hard stuff, ain't it? Unless you're a liar, that's really difficult. Because we think, because we live in America, and I'm thankful to live in America, regardless of what happened today, I, don't, I really don't even know. I checked a couple because I knew some people that were uh, <clears throat> uh, running in, in the race there, but but, uh, you know, the, the, most of the brethren don't even say that. But that's what the Bible says. Look at Romans 17 one more time. I'll tell you, as I went through this again and again and again, it just keeps getting better. Uh, now, it's extremely difficult stuff, but it's practical. Romans chapter 12, look at verse 17. If you stop and think for a second, Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I know you're going to Romans chapter 12 there, Paul is talking about what we would consider eschatology, right? End time stuff. Talk about the rapture, right into chapter 5, he's talking about day of the Lord, he's bringing up the tribulation again, he's talking about the rapture again, and that's what we would call the big word, eschatological end time events, right? But notice how right doctrine produces what he's dealing with now, right living. You've often heard this, well, if it's good preaching, then it ain't good doctrine. Or good doctrine don't make for good preaching. Baloney. If it's good doctrine, you'll live right. Because if that book is, is rightly divided, but yet you can't practically apply it, you ought not to be messing with it. I'm just showing you that. when He gets done teaching stuff about the end times and the rapture and the day of the Lord and tribulation and all that stuff that's a little bit heavy, a little bit meaty, right? A little bit meat. Uh, he turns right around and gives you practical stuff on how to live the Christian life. And he leaves nothing to be guessed at. Romans 12, 17, he says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. 
It's like the verses you wish weren't in the Bible, amen? Look at verse 18. If it be possible, that's the phrase you've got to remember. <laughs> as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. You know, there's always that one person at the workplace. You don't like them and they don't like you. Of course, you're right and they're wrong and they think the same thing of you. But Paul says, if it be possible. You wonder why he said that? Because sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes you've done everything you can do. And people are just unreasonable, aren't they? He says, 19, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. You know what that means? Let it happen. You ever get so mad that you just sit there and burn? The cartoons displayed it well. Your face turns red and steam starts coming from your ears. You know what Paul says? Give place to it. You get mad, just let it steam. Let it happen. But we're so quick to just pop and retaliate. Avenge ourselves. Recompense the evil that was done to us. And he's like, give place unto wrath. Why? The more you do that, the better you get at responding the right way. But so many Christians don't have any temper. That's why they're always losing it. There's no temperament about them. Uh, For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Here, stop and think about uh, David when he's going over the book, uh, the brook, is it Besor? Right? His son took over, Absalom. He's running for his, he just left. He's like, Lord, it's yours, it's not mine anyway. So he leaves with all his mighty men, right? And he goes over the brook, and there's Shimei from the tribe of Benjamin, kicking and cursing him. And Abishai's, let me cut that sucker's head off. <laughs> and David's like, no, you're not going to kill him. You say, what did David do? He just gave them to the Lord. That's hard to do, ain't it? You ever give your enemies to the Lord? Look, if you've got any salt in you at all, you've got some enemies. If you love the Lord, you've got a couple. It's not your family, amen? Your family's not your enemy. They just kind of act like it sometimes, but they're not. <clears throat> but it says, uh, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath. Let it happen, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So it requires patience for you to wait on somebody in verse 14 that has done evil unto you. And that's, we're not talking about justice. Let's clear that up right now. We're not talking about justice. Look, if somebody breaks into your house and wants to hurt your family, wants to rape your wife or hurt your husband and tear your house up and hurt your kids, uh, well, you, the right thing to do is protect your property, protect your family, and possibly even arrange a meeting between them and the Lord. Amen? Amen. That's right. Uh, We're not talking about them. Uh, uh, That's justice, (laughs) right? We're not talking about that. We're talking about someone does you wrong, and you just go try to exact your revenge on them, amen? When somebody just does something evil to you, the Bible says you don't render evil for evil to any man, any man. And uh, if you're going to be in the ministry, and you're going to serve the Lord through the local church, the greatest enemy that you will ever have, unfortunately, are going to be the people of God. And you need to understand that. You're not to be ignorant about it either. The greatest enemy you'll have many times will be Christian people. And they'll do some of the most vile, evil, and wicked things to you. They'll say things about you that are absolutely not true. They'll lie about you. They'll talk about you. And they'll do things that hurt you worse than bullets going through your body and knives through your heart. That's reality. You need to be aware of that. Not so you can sit home and flip out about it, but you just not need to be ignorant about that stuff. And Lord says here, you're not to render evil for evil unto any man. Then he says, follow that which is good. Well, Christ was good. Paul was good. 
So you follow the way they handled stuff. You ever notice how the difference between Christ and Paul? Paul standing before the high priest and he shoots his mouth off, uh, and the high priest decks him one. And Paul turns around and says, right? And the, the high priest slaps Jesus Christ right across the face. You know what he says? He says, if I've done evil, bear witness of the evil. But if I haven't done evil, why smitest thou me? Just as calm as a cucumber. You slap me on the face, man, you'll get me excited. <laughs> there ain't nothing worse. You take about, about zero degrees and you're walking through the woods trying to clear some uh, logs. And when your kid's in front of you, they take one of them little saplings. And you're like following heel to toe, heel to toe. That thing slap you right on the end of the nose. Man, I tell you what. You, mean, you, mean, you ever been slapped in the face before? Like not a friendly, like just someone haul off and slap you? I couldn't, you, you see these slapping contests, the stupidest thing I've ever seen, these big men, you know. You slap me, I'm going to uppercut you, man. <laughs> but you follow the way Christ handled things. You follow the way thing, Paul handled things. Uh, he says this. <clears throat> you say, how did Christ handle it? He didn't revile. Right? He didn't revile. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. That's First Peter 2.23. He reviled not. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. You imagine all the, we'll get back to verse 14 in a second. But you imagine uh, that whip coming on, his, on your back? He didn't turn around and say, I'm going to get you. He just took it. Verse 15 says, uh, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and all men. All right, so not only the brethren, they're in verse 15, right? The brethren's mentioned first, among yourselves. And to all men, those are lost men outside. And one more time, I know we've been through this, but you're going to find out that it's the unsaved in this world. They will give you less trouble than your brothers and sisters in Christ often will. And you need to be patient about it. You don't need to render evil for evil like we showed you. And you need to, need to learn to let the Lord handle it. The biggest lessons I'm learning in my late 40s is just let the Lord handle it. You mean I don't need to react? I don't need to react the way I've reacted for the last 25 years. What are you saying? I need to change. You need to change. You need to let the Lord handle that stuff and not render evil. That's, man, that's a difficult command. And he's given us some hard things, and y'all been good. I'll stop right there. We'll start right at the tail end of 15. And you say, why, why do we need to do that? Well, let me tell you why. You're closing your Bible, closing shop. You've got to realize that being under grace has taken you and I to a much higher level. And this thing is cockeyed in Christianity because people say, well, you know, I'm under grace. I can do what I want. No, you're under grace. You are, you are taken to a much higher level. You say, why? Because you and I have the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. If you don't desire in your Christian life going to a higher level, there is something fundamentally wrong between you and the Lord. So there's a much higher level that we should hold ourselves to than the law ever did. All right, let's stop there. Really good to be back in my own pulpit. Amen.
All right, Dad, would you close us in prayer?